0: We have been in a series called Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength. It's a series of teachings. If you're new to Homestead Church, my name is Jeff Kerr. I'm the pastor here along with my wife, Christy. We do mostly we will teach like in series where we'll take a certain topic or a certain book of the Bible and just work through that. And what we have been doing is we're going to take, I think, a total of seven weeks, and we're on week four, where we're talking about our soul. And if you've been here, you know what we're talking about. And if you haven't been, I'll get you caught up real quick. But when we talk about our soul, I'm referring to all the different parts of us. The soul kind of encompassing every part of us. Our will, our choices, our mind, our body, our spirit, our emotions, all of those things. If you think of a whole self, we're going to refer to that as our soul. I believe that that is what God breathed into us when he created life. He gave us a soul. And so we're looking at how to have a healthy soul. This verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This comes from the book of Deuteronomy, as well as a couple of different times in the New Testament, Jesus quoted that as the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we have been looking at that. And really, this is not a I'm not giving you uh, the top 10 things you can do for a healthy soul. I'm throwing out a lot of suggestions. We're looking in the Word of God and what the Bible says about how to take care of your physical body, your emotional self, your mind, your spirit. And so what I'm asking everybody to do over the next few weeks is to just take some time and ask yourself some questions. Do a little soul inventory. What is working well? What are you happy about life? What is something in life that you are not so happy with and you'd like to make a change? We are starting a new decade. Today is 02-02-2020, right? Palindrome Day, isn't that what I saw on Facebook? By the way, our screen fast is over. I was on Facebook this weekend and I really didn't miss a whole lot from what I was gathering. The curs went screenless for last Week up until Friday night, we had a near near civil war in the Kerr family, but we made it through okay. And I'll I'll just say this: I just realized I don't really miss a lot of it. I just recognized how much of it is just a habit. Um, how often I just pick up a phone and I'll say, oh, "I got to check my calendar here." And next thing I'll know, I'll be on Instagram, and I'm like, why, how did I get here? I don't even remember that happening." And then another thing you notice if you're not on a phone is that everybody's walking around like this at the mall. Everyone's walking around staring at a phone. Um. I don't remember what we were talking about. Uh, Healthy soul. Um, We have been talking about this. Ask yourself some questions. What's working? What's not working? We're starting a day. That's right, palindrome day on Facebook. Start of a new decade. What are some things that you could make a change in your life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, that over the year and especially over the next 10 years as you stick with it, could bring amazing, fruitful results in your life? So we're asking these questions. The first week, I'll give a little recap very briefly The first week that we we talked about this, that the healthy soul, having a healthy soul is inseparable from a relationship with God. It's inseparable from a relationship with God. We are made in God's image. We are made by a loving God who loves us, who has a plan for our life. If we try to find health in our soul outside of that, we're going to search for meaning and significance in all sorts of other relationships or chemicals or habits or behaviors or seeking after financial success, all of these things that we're going to try to find that core of who we are, and if we don't have that anchored in a relationship with God, it's going to lead us down a path that is empty and counterfeit. That was week one. Week two, we talked about physical and mental rest. We need to rest. We need to allow our bodies to rest. We need to allow our minds and our spirits to rest. And then last week, we talked about what's on the inside. We live in a world and in a culture that is obsessed with what's on the outside. How do I look? How am I perceived on social media? What do people think about me? And so we think, if I can just, no matter how much it's falling apart on the inside, if I can just seem like I have it all together, then that's going to be good. But what we learned is what's important is what's on the inside. And what are we putting into our lives? What are we putting into our bodies? Even food. What are we putting into our minds, media and entertainment? how how are we spending our time around people are they giving us are they giving us life or are they taking life away from us so that was last week the importance of what's on the inside what are we bringing in and what are we allowing to stay on the inside and i've noticed as i've been studying these topics that for each of them there is a cultural lie that we are led to believe so there's what god says and then the culture would have a lie for us to believe Um, You know, there's a lie that would tell us that your worth comes from what you achieve or how you look. That's what our world would say. But we know that goes against what God says. There's a lie that says you must provide for yourself and look out for yourself and never stop working because you're the only one who's going to take care of you. Well, that's a lie. The Bible says God is going to be your provider and look out for you and provide for you. The lie is that you'll be accepted and approved of if you focus what's on the outside. And that is a lie. That is against what God says. And today's topic is no different. As we look into this topic today, another lie that we are led to believe in our culture, our culture being very individualistic, you know, very just look out for yourself. The lie that we're led to believe is this, that ultimately you're on your own, that you need to look out for yourself over and above anyone else, that you need to take care of yourself and look out for number one. And that is a lie because the truth is this, and this is what we're going to look at today, to have a healthy soul Body, mind, spirit, emotions, to have a healthy soul, we have to be in a community of people. We have to be around people. You have to have your people. You have a group of people in your life that I can hang out with them and they're okay and they're okay, but these are my people. Do you ever find yourself saying that? These are my people. They get me. These are my people. We have to have a community. We have to be in a community if we want to have a healthy soul. We have to have people and relationships and a support system around us. If you read through the scriptures, especially the New Testament, you'll find so many times when Jesus is teaching a a one another teaching. In other words, it would say, you need to serve one another. You need to love one another one another. Encourage one another. When you are with one another, make sure you are doing this. Spend time with one another. Break bread with one another. Jesus is teaching us that this is a one another idea. This is a faith that comes when you are with a community, that you cannot do this on your own. In fact, if you are isolated, the flip side of community is isolation and loneliness. And that can be a soul crusher. Right? Have you ever experienced long times of loneliness? Maybe some of you are experiencing a season of loneliness right now. Isolation and loneliness is a soul killer. Your whole self suffers from that. Body, mind, spirit. They are all harmed when we are in isolation, when we are lonely. Several studies, there's no shortage of studies that have been done about the effects of loneliness or isolation. People who are alone the majority of the time Uh, can begin to see high blood pressure, poor immune health, sleep disorders, depression, anxiety, symptoms uh, resembling PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, perpetual fear, and even hallucinations if you are by yourself all the time. There was a story I read of a man who was lost in the Amazon jungle for weeks and weeks. It might have been eight weeks before he was rescued. And he said the hardest thing was the loneliness he said, I had to get to the point where I had imaginary friends, almost like Wilson in Castaway. You know that? you had to have imaginary friends just to get rid of that idea that he was completely alone. There is a reason that solitary confinement in prison is so debilitating. You are completely alone. We all, all of us, have a need to be a part of a group, to be a part of a group, a community, a family. This drives us. Big deal about the Super Bowl tonight is going to be the commercials, which are always overrated and overhyped. But if you watch advertising, how much of it is going to be, you can be a part of a group of people like this. If you buy this or if you do this, you'll be a part of this group. That taps into that need that we all have to be a part of a group, to be a part of a community, to be part of something. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we had a missionary guest from Central America. And one of the things they said that stuck out to me was, In various countries in Central America, the gang violence is so rampant. And what they're finding is for young people, they're getting sucked into these gangs, not because they approve of the behavior, not because they want to be violent, but because they are craving for any group to be a part of. And in the lack of a healthy group, they'll say, well, that group over there will accept me. So I know they're not doing things that I approve of, But more important than that to me is just to belong. And so that's what they're saying is why the gang violence is so easy to recruit young people is because it just promises a family, as unhealthy as that family can be. We all want to be a part of a group. Parents, we know this with our kids, right? We want our kids to find their people, to find friends but we know that we want them to find the right friends. Have you ever had that moment? You're like, oh, please don't let my friend, my kid be friends with that kid right there. Oh, no, Lord, how about those nice friends over there? We all know, maybe we were there when we were teenagers. What group you are a part of dictates a whole lot about you. And you'll do just about anything to stay a part of the group. Because being a part of a group, a community, is crucial. It will impact you. So today we're talking about this. To have a healthy soul, you need to be part of a healthy community. I love that we have our Treehouse students here. Thanks for coming again. We love having you here. Amen. So I'm just going to talk to you just for a second. You are a part of a group. This Treehouse group that you are a part of is awesome. This is a support system for you. Some of you have been through some really tough stuff in the past, but you are a part of a group now. And so, one... Make sure you lean into each other and help each other. And to recognize that you are all dictating which way the group goes, how the decisions are going to be made. Um, I say this to my kids all the time. Make sure you're using your powers for good and not for the forces of evil. You know, Make sure you don't turn to the dark side. No, there is, a, there is something powerful about a group that's together. All of you students, a part of this group at, at Homestead Youth, you're a part of a group that's together saying, we're going to support one another. We're going to get through this together. Times where I'm down, you're feeling great. We're going to help each other move forward. So I want to encourage you with that. When we talk about Homestead Community Church, the name of our church, when we were naming our church, we spent a lot of time as a family. We actually went through as a whole family one day thinking of names to name our church five years ago. There were some pretty creative names that did not make the cut. Um, But when we thought of Homestead Church... I really felt strongly that I wanted community in there. I wanted community in there. And it wasn't that I wanted Homestead to be uh, Homestead Community Church to say, "Hey, we're a church in the community right around the corner." What I wanted it to mean was foundationally at the core of our vision is we're together. We're a community. We're a family. This church is not a building, even though we're going to be in a new building here in a couple of months. This church is not about the pastor. This church is a community of people, and we're going to help each other grow in our faith. This is what community means. And I know adding community in there makes it a very long web address. And if you have a Homestead Community Church email, every time I type it out, I'm like, why did I put community in here? It's just so many letters. But it's a reminder. No, this isn't just a word, a catchy word. This is a reminder. We're a community. We're going to do this together. We were designed to be together, to be in relationship. We are social beings because God made us that way. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 for a bit, and then we're going to switch to the Old Testament in 1 Kings in just a little bit. But we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10. If you'd like to follow along in a Bible, there's some black hardcover Bibles in the pews that you're sitting in. Those will be the uh, same translation that I'm reading in. If you know know your Bible, you know this, but if not, Hebrews is kind of near the end. It's pretty close to the end of the Bible. So um, if you can find the book of Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to read starting in verse 19. But leading up to this... The writer of Hebrews is talking about what Christ's sacrifice did for us. Jesus died on the cross for us, rose again for us so that we could have forgiveness and new life. This is the gospel message. So Hebrews 10 talks about all that, what Christ did, how that sacrifice was once and for all. It paid the price for our sin. It speaks of the sufficiency of that sacrifice, that we are made righteous in God's eyes This is the foundational gospel message. That's leading up to verse 19. So now, when I start reading verse 19, you'll kind of understand the context of what we're talking about. Verse 19 says this Therefore, because of what Christ did, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Pause there for a sec. So if you were here a few weeks ago, I said, anytime you see the word curtain or veil, it's talking about the temple and how the presence of God was in the holy of holies, or here it's called the most holy place. People could not go in there. But when Jesus died, that, t- that veil or that curtain was torn. And so now it's symbolic of we have access into the presence of God, the most holy place, because we are made righteous by what Jesus did. So that's what that's saying. So because we have access by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, talking about Jesus... Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. We're going to pause right there for a minute before we move on. This is talking about our faith. Because of what Christ did, therefore, let's do this. This is a big deal. Let's press on in faith. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope. And it's a very individual thing. And it sounds like what he's saying is, make this an individual faith. But then look what it says in verse 24. The writer goes on. The very next verse says this. And... Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. There's those one another words again. Encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is not an individual faith. This is not an individual thing. This is a group, a community. So let's all of us, spur one another on. It's not a suggestion. It's vital. This is foundational to our faith. As foundational as when the writer is talking about Christ's sacrifice and us pressing in and having access to God's presence, just as foundational is, let's do this in a community of people together so that we can help one another, that we can encourage one another, that we can spur one another on. There is great benefit to us our soul, when we are in a community of people. Not forsaking meeting together. That's in there. Not forsaking meeting together. Prioritize gathering together. And this is not just about Sunday mornings, but while we're on it, Sunday morning church Is when we gather together and we celebrate what God has done and we worship the Lord together. There's something profound that happens when we all sing together. That's why we do it. We're not putting on a show. We're not good enough to put on a show. We're going to sing together. This is for us to all participate in. This is why we gather together. But it's more than just a church service. It's ice fishing days. You know, yesterday we had a great time where the body of Christ, the the church family gathered together. And some of you would probably thinking, well, why are you saying that? That wasn't spiritual at all. That's very spiritual. When the body of Christ, when the family gets together and gets to know one another, we are learning how to help each other, learning how to love each other, learning how to serve one another. We're learning how to come up with an agreement to lie about the size of the fish that we caught and say, don't tell, I'm going to tell them it was all this big. So this is never going to be a place where we're going to make you feel guilty for skipping church. We know that there's schedules. But I wonder if all of us could benefit if we just prioritized a little bit the gathering together of God's people, where we come together and we learn from each other and we learn to love one another and we receive support from one another. This is where we are encouraged and lifted up. So let's not forsake meeting together. This isn't just another thing on your calendar. This might need to be prioritized a little bit more. Encouraging one another. I highlighted a couple of words in there. Encourage one another. The Greek word that was translated to encourage is parakaleo. It means to exhort, to invite, to beseech. But it really that Greek word was used in a stronger way than what we would just mean by encourage. Encourage can just mean, hey, you can do it. This parakaleo Greek word was a word used to describe a military leader rallying the troops before battle. Um, almost like a coach, like before the game, like not just, hey guys, we can do it, but really encouraging. Hey, we got this, let's go, this is important, we're gonna do this, we're together, encouraging one another. Let us consider how we can do that for each other. Those who are down and discouraged, in this room right now, those of you who are down and discouraged, the family wants to rally around you and see how we can lift you up. Those who are falling behind, let's rally around and see how we can carry them for a little bit. The word spur is great. I love this. Yeah, I highlighted that because, you know, I was thinking of, well, I wonder what the Greek word is. And But really, spur is another thing altogether. Spur is the little spiky thing on the heel of your cowboy boots, right? I think, right? You can tell I'm well-versed in... Cowboy. Um, You know, you have the spur on the heel of your boot. So that if you're on a horse that's not really moving, you give a little heel to the side, get that horse moving. Right? You spur him a little bit. I love that that word is in there. Spur one another along. We can encourage. We can lift up. But spurring one another along is a whole different side of encouragement, isn't it? This is like getting the boot in the side of your giddy-up, you know? Like... (laughs) Hey, let's go. That's one thing that this this group of people is gonna be is if you're falling behind or you're making lousy decisions, it's hey, let's go, giddy up, come on, let's this is important. This is important, this is foundational to your life. Sometimes encouragement is a spur. I love that. Teenagers, sometimes This family of believers is going to see you kind of coasting through, making lousy decisions. It maybe happens with teenagers. We might come along and give you a little spur once in a while. Okay, Hey, come on, let's go. This is important. Read your Bibles. Pray. Come on. Let's serve one another. Let's learn how to love God. Let's not make those decisions that are going to lead us down the wrong path. Let's go. This is important. Husbands. I think there might be a few husbands that... Maybe we'll do a series on this, just the mid-40s husband. Man, I am, I am living that. There's weird stuff that goes on in your brain when you're a mid-40s husband. And you, yeah, I just think that can, be a, that can definitely be a trying, difficult age for men. But I think there are some husbands that you're probably just spending a little too much time disengaging from your family. you got work. And then you got Netflix. You got work, and then you just got what you're going to do, hang out with your buddies. And you are disengaging from your family. Well, we have a family of men here especially that would love to rally around you and encourage you and maybe spur you along a little bit. This is encouragement to say, hey, come on, this is important. Let's not settle. Let's not coast. You get one life with your kids. You get one chance to be a dad. This is all parents, everybody. There's going to be areas of our life where the family can rally around and encourage to lift up to spur along, to say, giddy up, let's go. This is important. Homestead needs to be a community of parakaleos, encouragers, those who lift one another up, groups that bear each other's burdens, encouraging and when necessary, spurring along. This is important, and this is what is done in a community. This is why faith can't be an individual thing. You can watch great teachers on the Internet or on TV. You can find the best worship music out there on... Spotify and Apple Music, but what you can't get is a community that's going to encourage you, that's going to say, how you doing? How are you doing? How's school? How's life? How's your marriage? How's your family? What can I pray for you for? Let's help you with this. Let's encourage you with this. This is what's unique about this opportunity that we have, and it's important. And if we're not doing it together, we're going to feel isolated. We're going to feel alone, and that is going to be alone in body, mind, and spirit. In Galatians 6, it says, bear one another's burdens." Meaning we all go through difficult seasons, but nobody should go through them alone. If you're going through a difficult season, you should not go through it alone. And the, one of the lies that you're going to be led to believe is that you're the only one going through this. You have to keep it hidden. You should not go through this alone. Nobody should go through it alone. There's a profound impact on our soul when we are a part of a community that can bear one another's burdens. And this is not just spiritual. This is not just emotional. This is physical. Physical. All those same studies say that while isolation leads to physical complications, emotional support during difficult times leads to lower blood pressure, better hormone function, stronger immune systems, lower inflammation, lower levels of anxiety and depression. I read one article this week. The very act of being with one another, crying or laughing, does so much physically for your body. The very act of crying in the midst of a difficult time is just a stress reliever. It's how your body is getting rid of that stress hormone, that cortisol hormone, that fight-or-flight hormone. That's what's happening when you're releasing those tears, when you're spending time laughing and crying together. That's your body naturally offloading stress. Have you ever been there where you're in the midst of a really dark time and all of a sudden just some time with your people? I remember a time when we were we were trying to uh, buy this building. I can't remember what phase of the building we were in. We were getting reports from the architect. This might have been last summer. It just seemed like obstacles before we had closed on it, I think. We were trying to figure out how we were going to pay for everything, and I was feeling down, really down. And uh, I needed a a spur in my giddy-up that day. And uh, we got together with some friends at the building, and we just looked around, and these friends said, you know what? This is... We can do this, and this is fine, and we'll get this done, and this, this. Just the difference that made in my countenance. Have you ever experienced that? Just a half an hour with some people that you feel are encouraging you. There's a beauty in this in that we share in this role. We bear one another's burdens. When I'm down, you're encouraging. When you're down, I'm encouraging. That's how it works. We share in this. We we lead each other along. We bear each other's burdens. There's a story in 1 Kings. For a few minutes left, I'm going to um, close in a few minutes after I read this story in 1 Kings in the Old Testament. This is a story about the prophet Elijah, the prophet in Israel. In Israel, at this time, King Ahab had married a woman named Jezebel. She was not a good woman. And she had really led the nation into idol worship. She had brought the idolatry practices from her homeland and brought them into Israel. And now the nation of Israel and the king and a lot of the religious rulers were worshiping Baal and other idols. Obviously a no-no from what God had commanded. So Elijah is just distraught about this. And the chapters before this is where, maybe you know this story, Elijah has the showdown with the prophets of Baal. And so they're like, okay, all you idol worshipers... Let's have a little test and see whose God is the real God. And Elijah calls down fire from heaven, and there's this awesome moment, this great triumphant faith moment. But because of that, Jezebel says, we got to get rid of Elijah. So Jezebel is now on a mission to kill Elijah. And so Elijah, because of this, Israel worshiping idols, and because of what happened with Jezebel, he runs away and is hiding in the wilderness. So right after this great triumphant moment of faith, he's in the depths of despair, hiding, isolated, on his own, fearing for his life. So I'm going to start by reading verse 3 through 6. First Kings 19 verse 3 says this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself, notice that, he went by himself, he's on his own, he's isolated, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under a bush and fell asleep. I think, did I go to, oh no, here we go, we're good. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. So one thing about that, sometimes you just need a meal and a nap. That's what I get out of that. Eat something, go to sleep. It's almost like we're toddlers, and the universe just says, why don't you just lay down for a bit? You missed your nap time, didn't you? Have something to eat and go lay down. There's something else I wanted to mention here. It's much more serious. When Elijah said he laid under it and he prayed that he might die. When things get rough enough, another lie that we believe is that things would be better off if we weren't here. And maybe I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but maybe you had those thoughts of this would be better off if I wasn't alive. That's a lie. Everybody from the youngest to the oldest, you got to hear me, you have value and worth. No matter what you're going through, that is a lie. And what you're going through now, life is always Beautiful and worth living. So don't give into that lie. And if you're ever struggling, find help and find. We have a family of people here that want to rally around you and help you. Don't give into that lie. Uh, so then, after that, Elijah wakes up, and uh, this angel appears to Elijah and says, "Okay, now go up to the mountaintop. God is the presence of God is going to pass by. So go there and wait for him." And Elijah goes to the mountaintop. And the first thing that happens is there's this amazing wind that's like breaking rocks, this powerful wind, and Scripture says the Lord, God, was not in the wind. Then the next thing is earthquake. There's this big earthquake, and uh, it says that God was not in the earthquake. And then there's this raging fire, and it says God is not in the fire. And it occurred to me, this might be where we get the name earth, wind, and fire, right? (laughs) Super spiritual. That was like probably my biggest aha moment this week. So God was not in the earth, wind, and fire, and uh, and then there was a gentle breeze, and that was when the presence of God came. And Elijah had a moment where God spoke to him, and this is what happens in starting in verse thirteen, the second half of verse thirteen. This is after all of this despair, God shows up and is going to encourage Elijah, and He says this. Then a voice said to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" And he replied, "I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty." The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So he's saying, they've all abandoned you. They're all worshiping idols. They've killed all the prophets. Now they're trying to kill me. I'm the only one left, he says. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu the, of Nimshki, king over Israel. There's a lot of names here that I'm not going to pronounce right. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphet, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any escape the sword of Haziel. And Elijah will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Get this. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths had not kissed him. This is God encouraging Elijah. How did God encourage Elijah? In that moment where he said, I'm all alone. I'm the only one left. How did God encourage Elijah? He said this, go home. I'm working. It's going to be okay. And you are not alone. You are not alone. said, there are 7,000 people who I have set apart, who have never bowed down to an idol, whose mouths have never kissed an idol, who are still devoted to me. You are not alone. You're one of many. And in those moments when we feel like, I am struggling and I am on my own, this is how we are encouraged to realize, you're not alone. You're not alone. When you're going through something difficult, it's so easy to think you're the only one, that you're the only one struggling with this. I'm the only one feeling so depressed or anxious all the time. I'm the only one who struggles with my faith. I'm the only one struggling in my marriage or my family's falling apart. We're the only family that's as messed up like this. And we keep up this facade and we keep coming to a community like this saying everything's fine, everything's fine, thinking that we're alone and we got to keep it isolated. But that isolation only aggravates the struggle. It just leads to more pain and suffering in our life. It leads to more depression and anxiety and fear. And I've found this 100% of the time, 100% true, is that any time I've found that I was struggling with something and I thought I was the only one, every time I've talked to someone and they've said, oh, yeah, I, I deal with that too. Oh, man, I thought I was the only one. I'm so glad you mentioned something. Oh, I thought I was the only one who felt this way or struggled with this question of faith. And then I get around encouraging people who share my burdens and spur me on and it lifts me up. So don't struggle in Silence. Don't struggle in isolation. Share your burdens. You are not alone. I made this reference earlier in the message about, you know, when you find your people, your people. We all need to have our people. You need to have your people that you can go to. And I'm just, you need a, you need a group of people that are going to spur you on and encourage you towards the things of God, towards the things of righteousness and faith. Some of you need to find a community of people. Some of you might need to find a new community of people who are going to spur you on to the things of godliness. But what I'm saying is this, and this whole message, this whole the whole vision of this church is this. We're your people. We're your people. This is a community. You are welcome with us. We're your people. You're our people. I mean, you have a choice if you want. You, we're not going to force you. We're not locking the doors. Right now we're trapped. You know, we tricked you to come to church. Now you're our people. We're going to hand out matching floral dresses and shirts that are homemade. <laughs> Sorry, that's not, that's not what we're going to do. <laughs> you are welcome with us. We're your people. You are welcome with us. We're a community who loves and encourages and supports one another. We bear each other's burdens. We spur each other along. Faith is important. Life is challenging, and we do this together. That's how we're going to do it. So I want to encourage you, jump in to a community. Jump into this community. Get involved. As a church, as Homestead Community Church, we have to continue to have this as the foundation of what we do, that we are a community that welcomes people in. So very practically speaking, in an environment like this, when you're in the lobby, ice fishing days, mom's groups, Thursday night groups, If you see someone who's just kind of standing on the fringes, you can always tell when someone's new coming to church because they're just kind of go they go to the outside, they get by a wall, and they're just looking around. If you see them, welcome them in, talk to them, welcome them, encourage them. In the lobby before and after service, please, I would love it. If you're a regular homesteader, we love that you have great close friendships here, but let's take that time when it's before and after church, to say, hey, let's meet some new people. Let's invite some new people into this community. Let's invite others into our world. We're not just dragging them to a church service. You're inviting them to find a community of people who can encourage, who can lift them up. This is why I love our youth group. It's a community of people who are encouraging and helping one another. There is a profound strength that comes when you have church friends that are your people, who are also your school friends, and you can support one another in school when you're going through a difficult time. Men's groups. We have men's coffee on Friday mornings. We have some other things coming up. But I need, we need to do a better job at men at this church supporting and encouraging one another. We're the ones that might need the little spur in the side, okay? We can't coast through this. So I'm going to need some help with men leaders in this church to say, hey, let's start some more groups Let's get some more discipleships group going. Let's learn how we can be men of God who can support and love our families. Mom's group is a great time for you to get support. Small groups, Thursday nights. We we need you to, to be willing to start a group, to start a, a group of people that can support one another. Even just social things like ice fishing days and parties and events that were parties we're gonna throw in the building. It's all a way to be a community. It's important. It's important. This is for our soul is to be a part of a community. So I want to encourage you as we close. Let's dive in. Let's look for people that we can spur along and encourage. Let's not think of this just as a receiving thing, but how can I help one another grow? So as we close, we're going to do something that is probably going to be outside your comfort zone. And some of you are like, great, I came to church. And the last thing I wanted was have to talk to somebody. We're going to put you outside your comfort zone. If you really don't want to do this, this would be a great time for you to escape and have a, have a phantom phone call. Be like, sorry, I can't take this right now. Just wait. What we're going to do and listen to instructions. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get into groups of who, however many, six to eight or whatever, whoever you're around, okay? We're just going to huddle up. It's going to be fine. Everybody breathe. It's going to be fine. And what we're going to do is you're going to introduce yourself, and then what you're going to do, and this is totally optional because I know some of this would be freaking you out. I want to take a moment, and hopefully somebody around the group feels comfortable doing this. Is there anything we could do to pray for you? Is there anything we could pray for? You don't have to answer, and you don't have to pray. But then I would just love it if all the groups would just take a moment. It could be one person in the group praying for some people, or a couple people in the group praying for some people. Learn their names, and then see if you could pray for one another, okay? Now, who thinks this is going to be okay to do right now? Okay. So all of you with your hand up, I want to make sure anybody with a hand up is in at least one of the groups, okay? So you can drive this thing. All right, so let's stand together. Maybe we could just play a little little awkward music. Not awkward music. Music to help the awkwardness. I have a whole awkward playlist up there. We could play that. But here's what we're going to do. Okay, everybody stand up. We're going to do this. is how we're closing today, okay? We're going to stand up. Now, those of you are around, and if you want to move around and find somebody, huddle up into a group of six to eight and start introducing yourself and then see if you could pray for one another, okay?